Welcome to the Dystonia Matters podcast, the official podcast of Dystonia UK, where you will find members of the Dystonia community joining me, Dana Ferdinandi, as we settle down for an in-depth look at their journeys to diagnosis, how the dystonia affects their lives on a day-to-day basis, and what the future holds as our guests share their stories and experiences. We hope you enjoy listening. Hi and welcome today. We have the amazing Luca who is with us. Now, we've heard Luca's story from a slightly different perspective because his mum Emma has been on the podcast and Luca's story has been told in uh, Out of Stony Matters magazine. But I'm really excited to say that today we actually get to hear it from the by himself. Luca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. So just to set the scene, you were diagnosed, I think, in 2018 at 10 years old. How old are you now? Uh, I just turned 15 in August. Amazing. So five years on from your sort of first diagnosis. And I think it's fair to say that lots has changed in that time. But let's go back. Let's start at the beginning do you remember starting to get symptoms when you were that age? Do, do, is that still a time that's in your memory? Yeah, I vaguely remember my whole body just starting to hurt because it started in my legs. And I remember my legs wouldn't work as how I wanted them to. I remember getting quite frustrated and I remember them hurting quite a lot. Because I think it was sort of eight months on, I mean, within eight months, I think you'd had deep brain stimulation surgery. So it wasn't, it was quite quick once you got diagnosed to to that part. Because you you went downhill quite quickly, didn't you? It, it took yeah. over quite a lot. Yeah, I think there was a long period where I first started showing symptoms to when I was diagnosed. Yeah. But then... It was a short period, it was like six months maybe between getting diagnosed and getting the DBS. Yeah, maybe six months. And do you remember sort of either sitting in that appointment or mum coming to you or mum and dad and saying, this is what we think you should have, this is a treatment, it will help you. Do you remember that period? Um, I remember coming down to London and then the doctors in London saw that explaining what it was and then explaining what they could do to the health manager I guess. Yeah so you were in front of the consultant and he said the scary words you know deep brain stimulation it's going to be a brain operation. Do you remember what you asked him? Not off the top of my head I think I was so glad that there was something they could do I, I can't remember what I asked. So according to mum, when she told your story, the thing that you were most concerned about was if they had to shave your head. How is it going to look? Which I think is quite a reasonable thing to be worried about. Yeah. You came out the operation, you've got the bandage on your head. Do you remember sort of waking up and, and how you felt? I remember waking up and sort of, there was still pain there from certainly out but it was a lot better than what it was I was for like the first time in two or three years I was like relatively pain-free so you've you've had the operation you've you've had the 
because when you have deep brain simulation surgery, they sort of tinker with the device, don't they? So that they get it, they get your yeah. levels right. And that can take a while. What was the first kind of activity that you did then after that, where you remember going, oh, I can do this again? Um, well, that's a good question. Because I, I think I, I was out of my wheelchair in six months. I vaguely remember at the six-month appointment going down to London. But I was still sort of in and out of my wheelchair. But I remember walking around all of St. James's Park in London like walking around rather than being pushed under my wheelchair, so that was oh. that was quite good. It must be a huge relief because you were really active, weren't you, before the dystonia? Yes. You used to play a lot of football and stuff, and I think that at that age, you you want to fit in and you want to be doing the things that you want to be doing. So just the act of being able to walk around a park must have been a massive achievement for you. Yeah, yeah. I used to play a lot of football. I used to enjoy like sports and that and after the bad diagnosis there is not a lot I could really do because I was in a wheelchair so getting out of that wheelchair and sort of walking around was good because I could do more stuff now uh, like yeah just everything really but your friends had been amazing, hadn't they? So that after you after you came out of the operation, I remember mum telling me a story about them coming round and taking you out in your wheelchair and pushing you along, and, and they really yeah. stepped up. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been so canny. Um, I don't think I could have done it without them. I couldn't. I definitely couldn't push myself um, in the wheelchair as much as they would have. They, as much as they did. Mm. Because that's pretty awesome. I think it, it really shows who your friends are, doesn't it? And that they yes. they turned up for you. Yeah. So we're, you're back at school. You've had the operation. You're back at school. Talk to me a little bit about how that was. When you were really poorly with it, school was very difficult to get to and, and being able to be there. How did it feel going back to school and sort of getting back into that kind of routine? I felt I had I definitely had a lot of support just from everyone from kids from teachers to assistants. I think there was a lot of support and a lot of like not mystery, but sort of everyone was a bit confused as to why I was why I'd been gone for like a couple of weeks. And, but then I think after I'd got my wheelchair and I, I started walking home from school. I think that was when I was like, I'm officially starting to get better. Now I'm officially able to do more stuff on my own, which mm. was good. And in school, everyone was supportive. That's so awesome, though. And unusual, I think, that I mean, you must have had a brilliant support system around you. And I know mum and, and the family yeah. and dad and everyone have been pretty awesome. You were the, one of the first stories I heard when I joined Dystonia UK so I feel like I've watched you grow up um which for me is just an absolute joy because I think it's enabled me to see you at sort of all different all different stages yeah. um, and you said you just turned 15 um so talk to me about 
what is it like being a 15 year old boy who still I know that the the surgery helped and it helps manages the symptoms but you still have dystonia talk to me a little bit yeah. about that so right now like in this time we're in now I think I'm I'm probably the happiest I've ever been because I can now walk I don't like this word but normally um mm. I can do most stuff in school normally. I'm, I'm participating in PE where I can. Obviously, the things like trampolining and like contact rugby, I can't do because obviously my wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did I'm you like off. either of those before the, the operation? Um, I was never a big fan of rugby. Then I, I, I like trampolining, but. I'd much rather be a little walk than yeah. trampoline. Um, Fair. So now the only thing I really have trouble with is sitting still, like sitting straight. Um, but apart from that, everything is probably the best it's ever been. I feel a lot happier than I've ever been. I feel, yeah. That's awesome to hear. It, it's nice to know that, and I think for people listening, that there will be dark times you know there will be times I would assume that you yeah. are in more pain than times that you're not but that there are more good days than bad yes definitely I think I think what I said in the thing I did with the BBC I said something like I didn't focus on the journey I'll focus on the destination so I always knew that I would eventually be more mobile and be able to do more stuff independently and um, basically just focus on the light at the end of the tunnel is... yeah. so you mentioned the thing that you did for the BBC for those that don't know what that is tell our audience what you've just done because it prompted this podcast didn't it yeah so it was so for the 100 years of the BBC um the so they, they were asking for people to like share their stories and my teacher was showing it to my class and apparently I was like I was out of the class at this time apparently everyone thought I had a good story to share so I thought you know what I might as well so then I shared my story like what I'm doing here now sort of yeah and my teacher made it into like a little four minute video that is now uh, like on the Facebook page of my school is on, I think it's on the Dystonia website. And that's awesome. And the BBC, you said sharing it on their website. Yeah, I think so. Well, if, if they are, we'll pop a, a link on the episode description for the podcast right. so that people can see it. Um. And I think that's amazing because that's really growing awareness. That's taking something that's happened to you and sharing it with the world. And one of the things that we all know about dystonia is it isn't very well known. If you tell yes. people, do they, do they go, oh, you have dystonia? Or do they go, I'm sorry, what is that? Yeah, the, yeah. I said, uh, on the, when I was sharing my story, I said, I just thought I want to help bring awareness because I feel like if you went up to 100 random people on the street, 99 of them would go what's Estonia yeah um so yeah it's not a very well-known condition so I feel like this can sort of maybe 
help it become more well-known. Do you think if it had been more well-known when you were first diagnosed that that would have helped you or your family, not just you, but mum, dad and, and um, um, brother? I'm not sure. I feel like... I feel like the support was there when um, when I was diagnosed. Like, I feel like... I feel like it was explained quite well what it was. And I feel like, obviously, after living with it for a couple of years, I sort of knew quite a lot about it. But I feel like, yeah, I'm still even learning about it. Like, I see things and I go, I didn't know that. So I just sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, I guess it's, you know, we've spoken before on this podcast about if it's more well-known, then you can almost picture your journey. And I guess... If it isn't well known, you you don't know what's coming next because you you don't know anyone that's got the condition. You can't talk to anyone about it. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like if it was something more well known, you can sort of picture what's going to happen and like sort of plan for the future, I guess. But mm-hmm. with a condition that isn't very well known, like Sonia, you don't. Yeah, like you said, you don't know what's going to happen. So you're sort of a bit more worried, I guess, sort of uncertain about the future. And so you said that you're um, the happiest you've ever been. Talk us through a little bit about what your life looks like at the moment. Talk to me sort of about a general day for you and, and whether or not your dystonia affects that general day. Yeah, so on a school day, uh, I, I start school at half eight, so uh, I wake up at seven o'clock most days. Um, and just this year, I started walking to school, so I leave home at quarter to eight. And then I meet my friends and we walk to school. Uh, and I'm always at school by like ten past eight, so just... I don't leave because I need extra time. So it just takes you a little extra time, or do you allow extra time because that's just your nature and you like being early? Yes, I, no, I think it's just kind of like being early. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think, and I walk yeah. home most days, every two or three days, and then I like I do a bit of revision or just like watch Netflix or something. And most days I might go to walk after five years so I go for like a two-hour walk with my friends. Um, okay. Or I'll go down to my friends and play football. And if if that doesn't happen, I'm just normally sit inside and get quite bored. But <laughs> So a pretty normal teenagehood, I would say, for a 15-year-old. Yeah. You're at school or you're out with your friends and the dystonia, other than charging every couple of days, yeah, it's massively impacting, at the moment, your everyday life. No, I, yeah, I barely think about it, to be honest. Like, there's not really a day goes by where I'm like, where it affects me. Like, I don't... Uh, yeah, obviously, if I'm charging myself, which takes an hour at the most... Okay. Uh, it doesn't affect me, which I'm so thankful for. Yeah. It means you can just get on and do the things you want to do 
Yeah. And yeah. Tell me a little bit about school then. What's your favourite subject? What is it that we're, because you've got your GCSEs coming up. What are you studying for? What do you want to do? Yeah, I don't have an idea. I've, I've got <laughs> no clue what I want to do when I'm older. Um, yeah. But for GCSE, I'll pick. So you have to do maths and English and the three sciences. Yeah. But then I picked computer science. I picked food tech. I picked Spanish. And I enjoy all of them. Uh, I think my favourite is probably computer science. I quite enjoy that. So is the goal at the moment to go to university? Is that the kind of path that you're looking at? Or do you think you'll do something more like an apprenticeship? Um, I think definitely university. I don't know what, I don't know where. But okay. Yeah. That's awesome, though. Because I would have said that, you know, if we, if we look back, I would have imagined when you were sort of 10 or even sort of 12 as you're, as you're getting through this, that some of the worries would have been that actually that might not have been on the cards because you you lost quite a lot of independence for a little while. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, I, again, I can't really remember, but yeah, there probably was sort of, not a fear, but like uncertainty over, yeah. over like my independence and that, I guess. And how was it with your family? Because they've been with you every step of the way and, and pretty, pretty amazing. But did you remember anyone treating you differently or has it always just been that they see who you are and not what you have and treat you just the same as they always have? Um, I think, yeah, I think everyone's just seen me as, as who I am rather than other than what I have. Um, mm -hmm. I think 99% of the time everyone's just saw me for me rather than me for what limits me and what I have. Yeah. Which, yeah, is all I really wanted, to be fair. Do you find that it limits you at the moment? Are there any limitations in what you feel you can do because of the dystonia? Not anymore, no, not really. I think... Apart from maybe sitting for a long amount of time, I don't really think there's not there's a lot that I can't do. I think I'm quite independent. I do a lot of things on my own. Like I don't need any help. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't feel limited in any way, really. You mentioned charging earlier. Other than charging, do you notice at all? any of the surgery stuff, like the battery or the wire or anything like that? Um, but yeah, I am very skinny. So the battery sort of, like when I don't have a top on, you can see the battery broken out and you can see the wire and obviously you can see the scars, but and you can see it, but and everyone always wonders what it is. So I just sort of explain, I say, well, I had uh, brain surgery and I had uh, like electrodes put in my brain. And I say there's a wire connecting my brain and a battery. And then no one ever understands how the charging works. The thing I just have to like cut myself open and plug, plug myself in, <laughs> which is it's fun trying to explain it to them. But 
I feel like most people now in my year at least know know what it is. Yeah, you know what it is. And do you ever have fun with anyone and tell them that you're Iron Man? See, my, my, one of my best friends said that's what I should do. I should tell people that I'm basically Iron Man. But yeah, <laughs> you got like the said, the reactor. Yeah, it's a good idea to be fair. <laughs> You know, your mum was um, involved in helping us create the animations that we're, we've done, and we've just done the Deep Brain yeah. animation one. Um, and there is, uh, when people see it, there is a, a little nod to Iron Man. And we always say that our, our young people, and you are absolutely one of them, and I think this is where I, I got it from. You guys are superheroes, because to go through that <sighs> at such a young age, and you are so positive... That is that is awesome, and I think unusual for for a lot of people. You know, you you haven't let it stop you doing what you want to do, and I think that is to be applauded. I have to say, I'm very impressed. So, what's like you've got you've got your GCSEs happening. The the DBS is pretty low key now. Do you have to still go and have it tuned at all? How are your appointments? Um, mostly they're now just like over video call, but not really. I think we're due going down to London sometime in December, January, maybe. So, yeah. and then I think they'll probably tune it then, but it doesn't get tuned as much as it used to, which is good. Mm. And so what about, I mean, we've got uh, we've got Dystonia Matters Live coming up next year, um, which hopefully you guys will be at. Talk to me a little bit about, because there's nobody with Dystonia in your area. Have you met other kids with Dystonia? I can't say that I have. Um, no, I think so. Uh, so there's two points of view here, I think. There's one, if you met them, you could share their, your story and potentially help them but also do you think hearing other people's stories would potentially help you i think it would be just because i know for the fact that there would have been people in worse situations than me and maybe it would help them know that they're, they're, they're like at the end of the time i guess yeah for sure i think your story is definitely inspiring but also you know that you you came through the operation and and I think people are very scared. So I met someone um, this year, in fact, who who didn't know that it might be for them and, and still doesn't. We're, we're not there yet with them. But they were really scared of the operation. And I think the, the great thing about when you tell your story is that that can put other people's mind at ease and allow them to maybe not feel so scared about that initial operation itself. Yeah which is a great thing to be able to do to, to help people. I think it's awesome. We've spoken about when you, were, when you were first diagnosed and the fact that at the moment you're, you're pretty symptom-free um, unless you're sitting for a long time. Yeah. Do you think or have the doctors given you any kind of indication as to whether or not it could come back like you could have a worsening of your symptoms or is it just that you take it day by day and then you'll readjust with the um with the deep brain stuff um 
No, I think I've been told that it could get worse if something happens. I think that's sort of to, to like be expected, I think. You like, don't live your life worrying about that, do you? I get the impression no, that I've, very much are just, no, this is how I even, am today. Even, yeah, even, even before I, I was diagnosed and before I started showing symptoms, I always just sort of take life as it goes, sort of one day at a time. There's no, there's no point in worrying about the future. Is yeah, is what I think. I think that's a lovely way to be, just living in the moment and seeing, seeing what happens. And of course, you've been through it, so you know how to live with it. And I think that where you are at the moment is a lovely place because you're able to do everything you want to be able to do. Are there any points that it yeah. does sort of rear its head that maybe you think, oh, I'm, I'm really tired today and that's, I can tell that's actually my dystonia. I might just need to rest a little bit. Does that ever happen? Um, If I've been like on an absolutely massive walk, like say I've done like 30,000 steps, I think by the end of that, when I'm like tired, I yeah. think my, the dystonia really starts to come through just a tiny bit. So I'm maybe a bit more like sluggish or a bit more uh, like my back's a bit less straight or whatever. But I, I never really noticed my dystonia a lot now, which is a good thing, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So it's just if you done a lot of exertion it might play up and and twing your mind to go oh that's that could be the dystonia I'll just have a little bit of a rest um <laughs> but it, it's good to know that you're still I guess mindful of it like you're paying attention to your body and not pushing to the point that you know is exhaustion but still able to do everything you want to do yeah like I would never push myself to that I'm so tired there's a chance that I'll push myself so hard that the dystonia might suddenly come back but I'll never exhaust myself so much that there is a possibility of that happening yeah busy but not exhausting yes that's how it likes to be regardless of whether you have a long-term chronic condition or not I think that's a, a good place to be mentally busy but not exhausted so you mentioned university how long have you got left at school this is well this is my final year of I'm in year 11 now so this is my final year of uh I don't know is it compulsory education so yeah it'd be either sixth form a college or an apprenticeship okay I think I'm looking at a sixth form or college, I think. I'm not sure. You enjoy learning? Um, to a point, I think. I do mostly enjoy school. I do. Yeah, I enjoy school to a point. When I take a Friday last lesson, though, and time seems to be, like going so slow I think <laughs> no no one enjoys that but no, I would agree with you there are points of which it's fun and there are points of which you just want to go home yeah. right 
yeah that seems fair for a 15 year old i think that's fair of most adults as well i have to say yeah we're having a lot of fun and times when i just like to stop for a little bit yeah um, like there's there's times i really enjoy it and there's times i just getting out of here no i think that's completely fair so what have you got planned for the half term anything fun other than revising um not a lot um not a lot no i went to see gated play football on saturday um they lost so it wasn't great oh. but yeah. just sort of chilling and really like and not not literally but just recharging my batteries yeah <laughs> And then you obviously, because you actually have to say that, don't you? Like, not, yeah. not really recharging, but <laughs> metaphorically recharging my batteries because my battery itself um, is fine. Yeah, metaphorically and literally recharging my battery. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do while you recharge? What's your um, what's your process? As in the the actual battery from the DBS, not just relaxing. So uh, that's basically, I lie down and just. Oh, it's just like it's wireless. I don't. I really don't know how to explain. It. I think the best way I can explain it is, do you know the thing where you put your phone on and it starts charging? Yeah. That's that's the best way to describe it. So while it's on, do you watch TV? Do you play a computer game? Do you listen to music? What's your sort of um, um thing? I'm mostly just watch. I'll stay something on my phone so just chilling out while you're while you're recharging yeah the, i the think rackets. yeah that's sort of just my chill out time before i i like go out on a walk or before i revise or play football or whatever so this week then it's metaphorically recharging your batteries and then you're back at school yep and then full steam ahead for the mock exams and and the real exams in May and June. Amazing. I mean, they're going to be awesome. You are clearly a human being that can do anything that you put your mind to, which is pretty cool. If you have one bit of advice for people, if people your age are listening, what bit of advice would you give them if they're going through something like this, if they have dystonia and they're, they're perhaps just trying um, to find their way? I guess it's two in one. It's sort of, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel and uh, don't focus on the journey, focus on the destination. So basically just think about what your end goal is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and then the other one is just, if you ever have just, because, yeah, I, there is, I may be positive now, but there was definitely times where I was very negative and didn't want to do a lot. So I think, just talk about your feelings just sort of say when you're feeling or say when you're feeling a bit depressed I guess I think that's really good advice because lots of people kind of keep it all in don't they and, and they try to to just deal with it on their own which is fine yeah and I think I did that sometimes and as soon as I started talking, it felt like, and everyone says this, but I genuinely mean it. It's like a massive weight was took off your shoulders. I felt like basically when you talk about it, there's more than one person to 
help solve it and help you from feeling low and depressed, I guess. And it's sharing that load, isn't it? It's being able to say to somebody, oh, I'm just not feeling great today. And that person being able to go, yeah, no, do you know what? Me either, but this is what I've done and now I feel slightly better. And so you, you yeah. learn different things. Yeah, I think, yeah, basically just talk if you're feeling low um. Because I guarantee you'll feel better after it. <laughs> That's really great advice. And no, I think I the side of that maybe is that if you are sharing your story, it can also help people. So it, it halves how you feel, but also it might help someone in the long run with how they're feeling. And they might not have told you how they're feeling, but you sharing your story allows them to, to open up to you as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I hope sharing my story can sort of help people, um, help people, like, personally gain awareness about Estonia, but then also it helps people sort of understand what they're going through and maybe they feel a bit less nervous. Mm. Oh, no, I think that's brilliant. And you have been an awesome guest so we are so grateful that you you come on the podcast so thank you thank you well thanks for having me thanks for having me uh oh no we will we will always help you get that out there um i think it's really important that people hear it and for us when i told the team that i was I was interviewing you today, you were coming on the podcast everyone was really excited because we've heard your story from mum's point of view and 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 an adult's point of view if you like but to hear it from your point of view and the things that you know yeah you know, like first time yeah it, it's very different but also I think it's interesting that the the route you've chosen to go down so very much remembering the recovery and and how how you are now versus focusing on on how it was when you were first diagnosed I think that's great so it has been awesome Luca Thank you so, so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Dystonia Matters podcast. We hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you would like to know more about Dystonia UK, you can check out our website at www.dystonia.org.uk where you can find lots of useful information, webinars, animation, ways you can get involved and much, much more. All our guests agree that dystonia matters, so we need to keep raising as much awareness as possible. You can help us by liking, subscribing and sharing this podcast and following us on all social medias at Dystonia UK. We are here for everyone living with dystonia. You are not alone. I'm your host, Dana Ferdinandi, and thank you once again for listening.